the, uh, the poet, the poet foreigner, I think say it best for all of us. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. Some of y'all can sing that. I won't dare sing that song. But I've mentioned that just because I do think that the sentiment of those, that, that, that headline, I don't want to know what love is, the lyrics there actually get to something that I believe is, is a common, I believe it's a common feeling among humanity. We want to know love. We want to understand it. We want to feel it. We want to experience it. And as much as I think everybody wants to know what love is, I'm actually always amazed. We want to have, like, this is what love is, and, and, and we, want, we want to feel it. But then the world around us, as we look at what they're saying, and they describe and they identify what they call love, they, they really put that label on just about anything. They slap it on just about anything. On the one hand, they, they look at a, a parent who, in my estimation, is not training that child, not disciplining that child, for bad behavior, and they'll say, well, that's a loving parent because they're doing or, doing or not doing certain things that they think that they should or shouldn't do. At the same time, they will endorse every kind of relationship that people want to engage in, regardless of what, hopefully regardless of what I think about it, and definitely regardless of what God says about it, they will say, well, that's love, because they love each other. Again, they're not defined it. They simply said that that's love because these people say they love each other. At the same time, I've even seen this in Christian communities where they will turn a blind eye to criminal behavior. I'm talking about stuff that's defined as not just sin by the Bible, but sin by the, the law of the land. Turn a blind eye to criminal behavior and say, oh, he's a good guy. We love him. Somebody's got the definition wrong. I don't know who it is. Well, I got an inkling on who it is, but I don't know who it is. But we are encouraging and embracing things that God says are sin, yet we call them love. And on the other hand, we will—I think it's kind of a lazy thing that we do sometimes. If we don't like something, I don't like it, so I will call it unleather, unloving in the name of Christianity and the name of God. Because I don't like it, so I call it unloving. But I think that all of that simply just sort of circling around and trying to get to this point that I think, I think if we're honest with ourselves, and, and, and some, of you, some of you, depending on how your personality is and, and how mainly you think it is to say that you love or aren't loved, whatever, wherever you fall out on that, you, you may or may not agree out loud, but I think in your heart of hearts you have to agree with this, that we at least all want to be loved. I want to be loved. I'll just go ahead. Y'all won't admit it, but I'll say I like to be loved. I want people to love me. I'm not just talking about everybody. I want some special people to love me, like really love me. I want to feel that. I want, I want to know what love is. I want that. I want to be accepted for who I am, no matter what I am, no matter how disappointing I am, whether or not you like everything I do. I want people to love me in spite of that. That's what I want. I think that's deep in the heart of us. But all these confusing messages of this is love and that is love and the other thing is love, and if I don't agree with it, it's not love, then 
How do I even know if I've been loved? Are you with me on this? If you're not confused, you're not paying attention. Because that's the point, is it's confusing. It's overwhelming. What is love? And I don't want love to be just what you manipulate me into thinking love is. Well, I've got to be okay with it because I'm a bad person if I don't agree with you. I don't want that's not what that's not real love. I don't want that totally blackmailed into feeling like, oh, I'm being loved. No. I want to know what love really is. I want love. I need love. I long for it. So I want to know exactly what the real stuff is so that I can get it. And I think you do too. The Bible, I believe, gives us the answer to that. In First John chapter 4, I want to begin your paying attention to verse 7 if you won't mind with me. He says there, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He's making a very simple claim in the words that he's using there. He's making a very simple claim that love finds its source and finds its ground, finds its beginning, finds its end in God Himself. So, do you want to know what love is? If you want to know what love is really, you have to know God first. You cannot know love if you do not know God. You may say, well, and, and, and maybe there's someone here like this, or maybe there's somebody in the world that you might talk to like this, that says, I don't know if I believe in God, but I feel love. Well, I want to just go ahead and go on the record according to God's Word. If you don't know God, and you don't believe in God, you do not trust in God, you may think you feel love, but what you have is not love. It is a shadow of love. It might look like love. It might even feel like love. But according to the Bible, it is not love. Because if you go to verse 8, he says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The definition of love is God. Do not know the definition of love? You don't know love. You don't know God? You don't know love. You must know God in order to know love. Therefore, that's why Peter talks about in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, that we are partakers, if we're believers in Jesus, we are partakers of the divine nature. That if we are in Christ, if we are part of God's people, that we actually, we actually are close to Him, we're intimate with Him, we have Him, we have unity, bond, a, a bond, a, 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 we are bound to Him, we have Him, and because of that, we gain no love. So go back to verse 8. He says there on the, the opposite, on the, on the verse 7, he's talking about the positive. If you love, you know God. But then in verse 8, he says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God. If you don't know God, you can't have love. You see, you put it to you this way. You get close to God, you'll know love. But if you're separated from God, you can't know love. It's that simple. You know, there's one thing that separates us from God. There's one thing. One thing. Sin. sin entered into the world in Adam and Eve, and they disobeyed God, and they, they introduced into this world sin. And then, of course, Romans 5, 12 tells us that death comes because of sin, and, and so on and so forth. But what I want you to see is that because of that sin, the things that are against God, the things that are wrong, that God says, don't do this, and we do them, God says, do this, and we don't do them, those things separate us from God, and they doom us to a life of lovelessness. We do not have love because we do not know God, and we do not know God because sin is in this world. 
And what sin does is it first destroys. One thing y'all need to understand about humanity, you go back to Genesis and see the, the Genesis account, chapters 1, 2, and 3 there. God made humankind, mankind, man and woman. He made them. And He made them in part, in large part, to know Him, to love Him, to be in communion, community with Him. That's what we were made for, to love God. We were made not just for any love, not just to, to love the beautiful scenery or to love animals. We were loved, we were made to have divine love, love with God. And that's kind of a big thing. That's what we were made for. The sin gets in there, and it's kind of like, it gums up the work. It, it breaks the machine. It makes things not work like they're supposed to work. So that what we were made for, we can't experience, and therefore we break. And, and some of y'all can, some of y'all can explain this probably better than I can. I can tell you, I've had so much love that God has blessed me with, with my family, my parents, and my my wife and, and friends and things like that. But there have been moments in my life where I felt like I was unloved. So when you're in those moments, it starts to break you down physically, and it starts to break you down mentally. And some of you may know that better than I do, but I can tell you there are people in this world who are on the edge of losing it all together because they feel as if they have no one that loves them. And the reason we feel this way is because we were made, we were shaped by God in God's image in order to feel, to know, and experience real love, and that love comes from God, and sin gets in the way. But here's the other part of sin. It also has a deceptive nature to it as well. Because what will happen is we were made to love God, right? We, we want to love God. So what, is our, what does sin do? It presents a substitute. Something that looks like love, feels like love, smells like love, acts like love, makes us think maybe it should be love. But it's not. Because it's not from God. We don't know God. We know this thing. We know this experience. We know this feeling. But what sin is doing is presenting a faith and saying, try this instead. And at best, the very best that that can be is a knockoff of the real thing. And then it's not going to ever satisfy because you were not made to love the way sin presents you with love. Sexual, sexual deviance or uh, even, even things in this world that are uh, 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 material possessions. These are not things that we were made to love in this way. That's not what we were made. We were made to love God. And sin presents a false presentation. This is a false presentation. But here's the good news in all this. That love of God that we want, that thing that we, the love we want to know, that love we want to experience, and the God who, who gives it, the God who loves us, He is completely knowable. Go with me now to verse 9. He says, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. First of all, I could stop right there and you could see the whole thing. It was manifest. It was made known to you. It was exhibited to you. It was shown to you. It was given to you. You have a perfect example of this love that's been given to you. That's what he says there in, in, verse, in, in, in verse 9. And this was manifested, the love of God towards us. But in what? Well, he's going to say, Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. He is saying to us, listen, this love that we want, that we're so desperately in need of, that we were created to have, that sin excludes us from, it's shown to us, it is given to us by Jesus coming into this world to die for us. That's how we have it. 
And in fact, I'm just going to see verse 10. Look at this. Herein is love. This is what love is. He says this. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's act of sacrifice sending His Son into this world. That defines what love is. Not what I think it is. Not what the Supreme Court says it is. Not what a judge or an ordained minister says it is. Not what anybody says love is. Nobody's definition matters. What you think about love, what you feel about love, what you want to be true about love is not what love is. As harsh as that is, that's the truth. The reality is, here is love. That He, God, loves us. And He gave His Son to be a propitiation. And His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. This is what love is. We have sinned immensely against ourselves. We've hurt ourselves in the process. And we have hurt a holy and righteous and perfect God. That sin causes damage. And be careful how I say this, but I want to make sure you understand that that sin is why we experience death in this life, sickness and pain. I'm not saying your sin necessarily causes your sickness. Understand that. I'm talking about the fact that this world has sin in it, therefore we all are exposed to sickness and, and pain and sin. That's just the way this world is. We call it the human condition because sin has corrupted everything all the way down to our DNA. It's messed up. All the way down. It's all messed up. But what God did is He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, it says they would be a propitiation. One of my favorite words is used in the King James. I love that word. It's only used about three times in the King James Version. But it means that he was a satisfaction. He paid the debt. He paid the price. What God did is he took all that damage that we have done with all of our sins, and he absorbed it in himself. He said, y'all don't have to experience it. Y'all don't have to pay the full ultimate price. Yeah, we're going to feel some aftertaste because sin is pretty damaging. Sin is pretty, pretty hurtful. But we're gonna, we don't have to pay, pay the full price. Jesus absorbed that in his own body on the cross. And God said, not only is he going to absorb that for us, but he was going to say, you know what? Any demands I've ever had are satisfied in Jesus. Now, what I just described, we call the gospel. What I just described is called salvation through Jesus Christ. But it's also called, by this passage, herein is love. This is what love really is. It is sacrificial. It is perfect. It is the perfect image of love. No substitute. Anything less is just what you concocted in your brain. Is this is what makes me happy, makes me feel good, so therefore I'm going to call it love. The Bible says, Herein is love. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins and took care of every one of those. My wife, Vanessa, makes a uh, vegetable casserole. We uh, make each of you, I think twice a year, maybe three or four times a year at most, but usually it's around Christmas and Thanksgiving, especially the family occasion. And it's the one dish that we always bring back completely empty. Because everybody loves it. And if there's even any some left, there's always somehow magically the go boxes that get found out of somewhere and people scooping it up and take it out with them. It's good stuff. It's really good. It's called vegetable casserole, but it's not good for you at all. It's got more butter than it does vegetables, I believe. 
But somehow my wife can fix this in such a way, and everybody loves it. I have not, you know, if, if, if you ever eat this and you don't like it, I don't like you. So I'm just telling you, everybody likes it. Everybody likes it. Everybody likes it. It's wonderful. And Vanessa's not secretive with her with her uh, with her recipe with her family at least. I don't know what she might she might not tell you all what it is, but uh, but you know she, she shared it with with my mother and and one of her sisters sisters in law and everybody other people know the recipe and they try to fix it and they'll bring it and it's okay it's good it's just not delicious you know it's not she's got the crisp on it just right on top of the, the creamy just right on the bottom and it's it's just good in a way that theirs just can't quite match. I'll use that as a silly example of what I'm trying to get you to see is that if you really want to know love and you want to know real love, you don't want somebody's knockoff. You don't want, you don't even want your own brain and your own heart's manufactured version of it. Again, it might be close. And I'm giving you a lot more credit than you're worth. You might get close, but you're not going to get to the real thing. To look for love outside of Jesus Christ is to be deceived and to set yourself up for destruction. I, I just to be honest, I, I told you I want acceptance. I want acceptance. I want people to accept me. Because I know I got warts and I got bumps and crevices and all kinds of stuff. I know I know that. And I want people to love me in spite of that, don't you? If you don't say amen, you're lying. We all want people to accept us for who we are. We all do that. But let's be honest, I don't want to be accepted for who I am to the point where that my sin that kills me is ignored. I need somebody to pay for that sin. I want forgiveness. Yeah, I messed up so many times. I messed up on Wednesday night. Some of y'all that were here, I, I, I made a smart Ellis joke, joke about my wife on the piano and uh, she forgave me. Just in case y'all wondered about that, some of y'all that were here, she forgave me. She loved me anyway. But uh, I make I make mistakes all the time, and I want you to be forgiven. But I don't want forgiveness that is cheap and easy and ignores the real price that it costs. Not real forgiveness. I want friendship. I, I want. I consider many of you that are here my friends, and I want to be friends with many people. But I don't want the kind of friendship that. Selfish friendship that you're only my friend because of what I can give to you. I want friends that are my friends. You understand? And, and that's what you get with Jesus. He's your friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's never going to leave you. He will never forsake you. Even in spite of who you are and what you do, he will not do that. I want a friend. I, rather, I, want, I want love that kind of gives me comfort. It's one of the things I can say about my marriage that in some of the toughest times in my life that I've been able to lean on my wife in those times because she gives me a comfort that I can't get anywhere else. And that's one of the things I think that love provides, and I want that kind of comfort. But a lot of our comfort that we lean on, that we get from so-called love, is comfort because the sun is shining, because the bank account's full, because the temperature is right. It's the person in, in office we like or don't like or whatever that feeling may look like. We, we look at our circumstances, is my point. It's temporal. But I want a kind of comfort that doesn't just, isn't just based on the here and now, that has a long-range view. And Jesus' love is the kind of love that gives me comfort no matter what's going on right now. 
with eternity in view. That's what he provides to us. Ultimately, I want you to see that you want the real thing. You want the real thing. I not only want to know real love, but I very briefly want to point out this idea that we want to show real love. Everybody in the world believes in the power of love, don't they? I mean, I don't think of anybody. I've listened to, I listen to podcasts and read books and watch shows on television, and every guru in the world talks about the power of love. Everybody. I can't think of anybody that doesn't talk about it. Everybody talks about it. In fact, our culture has this saying, they call it, love is love. That's what they say. And, and, and they're saying that in part, and other things they're trying to say with that, but in part they're trying to get across this idea that if you just love, everything will be right. Like the Beatles say, all you need is love. Right? That's the thought. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. I mean, this is, this is all over the place. This is what we think love is what we need to fix everything. And even the world understands about the church that the church is supposed to be this place where real love shows up. You ever heard people get mad about that? Mad about Christian people who aren't loving? You ever heard that? Yeah, they don't hold anybody else to that same standard, but they hold the church. Now, why is that? Well, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but our leader, our master, our Lord, Jesus Christ, he said, they're going to know you're my disciples by how you love each other. So they're just holding us to the same standard the Lord told us to. But I'm saying all that to say, well, how in the world am I going to be this agent of spreading this love? I now understand what it is. I've got this definition. I understand it. How can I be an agent of it? Well, thing you need to understand is that when you trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. Uh, you can see this. I won't let you read it, but in chapter 4 of the same book, uh, verses 2 and 3, you kind of get to this point that essentially you will not even be able to believe in Jesus unless the Holy Spirit makes it plain to you. So you need the Holy Spirit to do that. And then in verse 4, he says, once you're a Christian, he's in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So this, this Spirit takes, this Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. So go to verse 11. Now that we've got God's nature in us, go to verse 11 of our text. Beloved, as God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. The love of God is, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Make sure I get this point across because I think this, this, is, like, this, this helps me, and, and sometimes if it helps me, it might help y'all. The fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in me may not seem, may seem like a sort of a doctrinal point, a little esoteric, and it is boring. Yeah, sure, I believe that. What does that mean? Let me tell you, God tell you what it means. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it tells me that if I put my faith in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will declare his into my heart, and he will shed abroad the love of God. Here's an image that comes to my mind. Y'all know what a symbol is, right? A little symbol. That's okay. Turned upside down, just like a little bit of cup. Imagine that. That's your heart. Okay? Y'all know what a barrel, 50 gallon barrel is, right? A little barrel. Okay? Let's fill that up with water. Let's take that little symbol and take that gallon, 50 gallon barrel, and turn it over and try to fill that symbol up. What's going to happen? Somebody help me. What's going to happen when that happens? It's going to overflow. Is it going to fill the symbol up? Of course it is. What else is going to happen with all the rest of that water? It's going all around, everywhere else. If that symbol truly had that 50-gallon barrel shed abroad in it, filled it up and spread everywhere, 
Don't you be able to tell? Okay. You can tell maybe where that big old, big old pooling of water, probably not just a wet spot, but a pooling of water all around. You can tell exactly where that, that barrel had been dumped out, right? This is the shedding abroad of the love of God in the heart of the Christian that's going on. My little symbol heart is sitting there in my chest. And the love of God, which is deeper than the ocean, is being poured out into my heart. Matthew's little old piece of the heart is full. And he's feeling love. But God's love is bigger than my heart. So big that it can't help but soak everything around me. I'm telling you this to say very simply that we can know that God is in us and that God is, that we know the love of God and God is working in us whenever his love isn't just in us, but it's showing outside of us. That's how we know that he is working. That's how we know. And let me get to my last point, and then I won't be done. I want to get done. I shortcut that just a little bit because I want to get to this first point here. Let's see this here. Because I want y'all to understand something, because I don't think y'all understand this part. This is the part I really want to talk about. Alright, so I'm going to show you a little test. Are, we with, are you with me on this? How do you know love? Somebody? Know God. How do you know God? Well, we know here in His love because He sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. We know God because we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior. That's how we know God. That's how we get to know God. So we now know His love fills us. We understand what love is. We know that His nature is dwelling with us. It changes how we act. Everything around it is changed. But we need to also understand this about the love of God. We don't deserve the love of God. It is grace. From God. It is not merited in any way, but God still gives it to you, and therefore you can experience it every day. I want to skip, just skip all the way down to verse 17, where he says, Look at this, look at this here. He says, Herein is our love made perfect. And that word perfect essentially means, well, what you think it means, perfect, but the idea of perfect of, in this case is that it's essentially playing itself out. This is what it really looks like whenever it's in full force. All the implications of your love. When you got this love from God, this is what life looks like. That's essentially the essence of that's the essence of, of the message there. He says, here and this is what I'm about to tell you, is how your love is made perfect. Look what he says. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. When you have the love of God, He gives you His love, you not only understand it, not only can you give it out to other people, but it also gives you a measure of confidence so that you can walk in real love. Your life is one that is marked by real love. It gives you this confidence, a confidence for tomorrow, so that I know that in that judgment day, you know that if God loves you, and you believe in Him, and you know His love, and you God is love, and His love is shed abroad in your heart. All those things, judgment day is going to be a good day for you. I know we call that judgment day in negative terms. Oh my goodness, that's when the sheep and the goats are going to be sorted, and, and all this, this fire, and this hell, and brimstone, and all that stuff. And that's, I'm taking nothing away from that. But according to this passage, that my, the love that God has for me is made perfect, that in the day of judgment, I can have boldness. And when I read the word boldness, I'm not reading shaking my boots. I'm reading boldness as in I'm confident. I know how this thing's going to turn out. I have boldness when it says there in verse 
uh, 17, it says there's boldness in the day of judgment. I believe there will be fear and trembling on the day of judgment. I believe there will be. But I can have boldness. So I can have boldness because that's my father there. He loves me. He's exhibited his love to me. He's shown his love to me. I can have confidence tomorrow. Boldness when everybody else is shaking in fear. Boldness because he says there, because as he is, so are we in this world. Boldness because I know where I stand with him. I know who I am in him. I'm not getting hell. I'm getting an eternal and treasure inheritance through Jesus Christ. An inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. That has been reserved for me in heaven, Jesus says in First Peter. I have that to look forward to. But not just confidence tomorrow. I, because of the love that Christ has given to me, I have confidence today. Look at me in verse 18 and you see this. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts without fear. Because fear who that fears is not made perfect in love. I have boldness to know that I don't have to worry that I have been condemned by God. Romans chapter 5 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to worry about that any longer. I know that in my time of need, I think I can say it this way. I think in this, in this world, I'm going to wrap up, but I need to get this talk for you. In this world that we live in, in this world that we live in, I think we've equated love with let you do whatever you want to do. Right? That's what we say. That's what, that's what people think love is. And therefore, because whenever I'm in Christ, because God says some don't do this and do this kind of stuff. There's some vows and thou shalt and thou shalt not, right, in the Bible. So we sort of say, well, God must not love me. Or God's mad at me. Or however you interpret it, you, get, you, you think you're in a bad place with God. It's not how, it's not how love works. Remember hearing his love. God sacrificed himself for you. He paid for your sin. Now you're accepted by God. You say, well, Matthew, you don't understand. I just did this thing, and I'm embarrassed about it. I know God's upset about it. I understand. I get it. I get it. I got that. Go back to verse 17. I'm ready to verse 18. There is no fear in love. The perfect love casts about fear. What I'm trying to get you to see with this passage, and I'm trying to get this point across to you, is that God loves you no matter what. Now, is He going to tell you to stop doing some things that are damaging to you? Absolutely. Is it going to be hard to... It's just to agree with that and hard to follow through with that because there might be some things that are genuine addictions, physical and, and mental addictions that we have to deal with. Some things are ingrained in us from little kids. I know some of us have been raised in cultures where racism was just normal. So we look at the Bible and the Bible says you shouldn't be that way. It might be hard to get rid of that. I understand. I'm not trying to give you that it's easy. I'm trying to tell you that your God loves you no matter what. Period. Now, when he does that, because he loves you no matter what, just like you parents, when little Johnny and little Susie starts to run out in the middle of the road, you don't say, well, that's Johnny and Susie. I sure do love them. They do whatever they want to. No! You're going to, even the, the most last parent that's sitting here is going to run out in the road and say, no, don't do this. Your God loves you so much that he's going to tell you no sometimes. 
But go back to this in verse 18. There's no fear in love. You don't have to sit there and say, well, God told me, no, he must hate me. No, he doesn't hate you. He loves you. He loves you today. And you can go to him in your time of need and say, God, that thing you told me I'm not supposed to do, I sure do want to do it. That thing that I know is wrong, there's something in my soul that wants to go that direction. But I know you love me. I know you told me the right way to go. I'm not only going to try to obey you, but God, I'm going to need your power to obey you. This is where God comes in. This is where His love shows up. It's not permissiveness to do, okay, whatever you want to do, Matthew, you go for it because I love you. No, that's not how God works. Because God's love is perfect. Here in His love, His Son pays the price for my sin. And you can have confidence that in that day of judgment, it won't be held against you. It is paid for on the cross. You can be confident today that it won't be held against you because it is paid for on the cross. God loves you enough to die for you. You can love, you can rely on Him to love you enough to, to, to hear you when you pray, to answer you in your time of need. So that you can call on Him and you can confide in Him and you can, and you can confess to Him even if you're worse. Lord, I was wrong. I'll take whatever's coming to me. And I can promise you that whatever he has coming to you, the worst case, it'll be like a, a bad spanking when you were a kid. Because you know what? He's got heaven waiting on you. The worst, he, the worst he could do, and I know this sounds terrible, but I want you to hear me. If you're a Christian, the worst thing in the world God could do to you is to take you out of this world and then take you, where's he going to do? Take you to heaven. He promised that. Y'all understand what I'm trying to tell you? I'm not trying to tell you to get a license to sin. I'm trying to tell you your love, your, your God loves you, and He's not mad at you. Some of y'all have got a picture of God that's up in heaven, and all He's doing is disappointed with you. You're wrong on that. Your God loves you. So don't wallow in your sin. Go to Him for forgiveness of your sin. Don't, don't, don't hold back in fear. Oh, no, am I going to make a wrong move here? Trust God for His direction. Don't Try to earn his favor. You've already got it. He loves you. He's giving you his grace. Obey him from that great love. Know that your God loves you so much, he's giving you everything. Peter says this in Second Peter, everything you need to live life and to be a godly person. He's giving it all to you. He's giving you everything. Trust him. Don't worry about what's going to come. Just hold to his right hand. He'll direct you where you need to go. Definitely do not fret over Satan's power. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Do you know what love is? Real love? Whatever answer you might come up with on that in your mind, and you, you know, we all have sort of different ways of describing it. My question really is less about what your answer is, but why do you say that? Is it just because you think that, or you read a book that tells you that? Or is it because that's what God said it was? Because God tells me that love is only love if it comes from God. Love is only love if it's His love and it changes me and it makes me love the way He loves. Love is only love if I have confidence to boldly live and love and obey my God the way I'm supposed to do it. 
without any shame and regret and fear. I think many of us, our love is nothing more than just an emotional good feeling or a sexual good feeling, a warm heartedness towards people, or just giving in to demands to keep the peace. That's not love. Not over love. That's not love. Real love comes from God. We read this last verse to close, and we will invite you to respond to what the Lord has told us in verse 19. He says, We love him because he first loved us. You know that God has expressed himself fully and personally through Jesus Christ. But because he has made his love available to you, he absolutely has done that. I want to invite you to seek Him with all of your heart, to accept Jesus as gift. Some of you need to be saved this morning. I want to invite you to be saved. For those of you that are Christians, that I already know Jesus and I know Him and I love Him, that's wonderful, but you need to seek Him to be able to express that love. That love was never given to you for you to hoard it in the, in the warehouse behind your house. It was given to you to spill over into all of your life to give to other people. You need to seek Him so you can reflect Jesus' love to others. And there's some of you that are walking around, Christians as you as you are, on your way to heaven as you are, but you're living a defeated life because you have never, ever really leaned in on the love that God has given to you and allowed it to change your attitude so that you can be confident to do what God has. I want to invite you to come and ask God, listen, I need you to have your confidence. Let me get out of this fear, out of this shame, and out of this regret when we have you. Have a good time.